I never can quite make up my mind about a book or a movie until I get to the last line. Stories are usually filled with tension and that draws you in and it can be a lot of fun. But it's how that tension gets resolved that shows you the story's main message. Sometimes I'll actually be watching a movie and thinking, I hope they don't ruin this with some stupid line or terrible ending. J.J. Abrams had the unenviable task of trying to bring a conclusion to the nine-part Star Wars saga. How do you end a trilogy of trilogies? In the final scene, the character of Rey is approached by someone who asks her name, and she replies, Rey Skywalker. It doesn't sound like much of an ending if you don't know the story, but in the final episode, we learn that Rey is a Palpatine, a descendant of the most evil person in the universe. But by the end of the story, she's adopted the name Skywalker, who represents the most noble in the entire series. With that one line, we learn what the message has been all along. It's a story of how a Palpatine can become a Skywalker, how terrible evil can be transformed into wondrous good. Because there are so many characters and details and subplots along the way, if you missed that line, you might have misunderstood the main point of the movie. The thing is, I fear that the same thing is true of Jesus Christ. People chase the details and the subplots in his life, but often they can miss the point of his life because they never reckon with his final scene. They misunderstand him because they never take the time to really hear his final line and what it might mean. You may have gone to church all your life and still gotten Jesus wrong. Or you may be brand new to Jesus and have assumptions about him anyway that may not be in line with scripture. Regardless, I'm convinced that you need to hear his final scene to rightly understand him. Once we've heard him on his terms, we need to ask whether we're living in a way that reflects that understanding as well. At this point, if you want to hit pause, grab your Bible. I'm going to read Jesus's final scene for you. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. I'll read it here. John, chapter 19, 28 to 30. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished! And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of God. Now, as we consider this picture, we are imagining in our minds Jesus at the end of a three-year public ministry. The crowds that had flocked to him eventually turned on him. The disciples that had followed him eventually abandoned him. He lies dying, nailed to a cross, condemned as a criminal, with the only crime list listed on the placard uh, above his head being that he's the king of the Jews. He's crucified between two criminals, and so his death feels eerily common. In verse 28, it says, Jesus knew that all was now finished. Just then, in fulfillment of scripture, he says, 
I thirst. The guard lifts up a sponge of sour wine, holds it to his mouth, the way that you might moisten the mouth of a dying person in palliative care. And it's then that we see the point of the reference to fulfilling scripture. A famous Psalm of David that we'll study in a couple of weeks pointed to the Messiah. Psalm 69 verse 21 reads, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. The irony in the psalm is that a king would be given the cheap wine, cheap sour wine that soldiers drank. And yet, that's exactly what happens to Jesus. We're surprised at first that he drinks it because he's already turned down an earlier offer of wine. In Mark 15, 23, it says, They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. At that point, the wine was full strength and mixed with myrrh, and it was intended to dull the pain, a mild sedative. Jesus didn't want any part of it. He would feel the full weight of punishment. The sour wine that the guards offered him wouldn't dull the pain, though. It was diluted with water and would just moisten his throat. He wanted to speak, and his throat was too dry to call out. When he says, I thirst, in verse 28, He's probably barely audible. I thirst. The soldiers immediately next to him hear his strained voice. The crowds probably just see his lips moving. But with some cheap wine dripped from the wet sponge, he can wet his throat and speak. Mark reports, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. That loud cry is probably what John reports here in verse 30. And so we should probably read the words, It is finished! So telling the guards that he was thirsty and taking one last drink was all that so he could shout out, It is finished! as loudly as his weakened body would allow. And the question is, why? If this is Jesus' final line, what does it tell us about him? If this is Jesus' final scene, what does it reveal about how he saw his own life? What has really been finished in Jesus' life at this point? Some people think Jesus' life was just about making the world a better place. But if that's the case, he certainly didn't finish that. He's surrounded by screaming crowds that are glad he's almost dead. He's hardly finished making the world a better place, so that couldn't be what his life was all about. Some people think Jesus came to reform religion. But if that's the case, he certainly didn't finish that. It was the religious leaders who plotted his death. Religion was far from being reformed by Jesus. So that couldn't be what his life was all about either. Some people think Jesus came as a political revolutionary. But he didn't change the Roman Empire. Nobody could say that he had finished any kind of political reform. So that couldn't be what his life was all about. Now, one of the most common misconceptions is that Jesus came as a great teacher. And he did leave us with some incredible teachings. But he certainly didn't finish teaching us all that we needed to know. Even his own followers recognized recognized that. None of the New Testament was written yet. And so Jesus' life couldn't have just been about teaching us what we need to know. 
Finally, many people in the world today would say, Jesus came to start a new religion. Jesus is a great religious teacher. But was he really? Sure, he was able to draw a crowd. Many gathered to see his miracles. But the crowds that cheered his arrival in Jerusalem called for his death later that same week. And even his disciples had given up and were disheartened. If Jesus just came as a religious teacher, he certainly hadn't finished that work. And so that couldn't have been the main point of his life. And what I want you to see is that if you try to see Jesus as primarily about any of those things, you've misunderstood his life. You're rejecting the real Jesus and imagining him as you'd like him to be. Jesus couldn't have just come to make the world a better place or reform religion or be a political revolutionary, a great teacher, a religious founder. Jesus' final scene doesn't leave us that option. That would be like concluding that Star Wars is mostly about Jar Jar Binks. You may like to think that, but you'd be rejecting the message of the story. You need to interpret Jesus on his own terms and through the lens of his final scene. And to do that, we need to ask, what did Jesus finish? How did he understand the calling of his life? To understand what Jesus finished, we need to understand the word that he used. The English phrase, it is finished, translates the single Greek word, tetelestai. Translators have always known it conveys the idea of completion, and that's why we say it is finished. But it wasn't until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls that its usage was more fully understood. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain lots of religious writings, but the caves also contain shopping lists and deeds and letters. They gave a rare insight into how language was used in everyday life in the first century. In these everyday documents, they saw again and again the word tetelestai. It was written on deeds and business transactions. And there the sense was paid in full. It marked the complete payment of a debt. And Jesus almost certainly had that nuance in mind when he said those words, when he said, finished. What Jesus finished was a full payment for humanity's sins. Jesus came to pay the debt of our sins through his death on the cross. In the Lord's Prayer, you'll know, Jesus referred to our sins as debts before God. And he taught us to, to pray for those debts to be forgiven. And that's because right back in the garden, God had warned Adam and Eve that the consequence of ignoring him and going their own way in sin would be death. Every sin we commit is like another transaction, another death on our eternal credit card. The debt keeps on increase, increasing and we have no way to pay it down. Everyone who ever lived would stand eternally condemned with that judgment of death over them. But according to the Bible and according to Jesus, that's what he came to deal with. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus described his mission like this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and watch for it, and to give his life as a ransom for many. On the cross, Jesus ransomed his own life to set us free from a debt we couldn't repay. 
He died in our place. He paid our debt and he paid it in full. That was what he finished. That was the point of his life. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it like this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The cross wasn't an unfortunate end to Jesus' life. It was the triumphant climax of his life. He was the righteous, innocent sufferer who gave his life in place of sinners. He paid our debt in full. That's what he finished. That was the point of his life. Now, according to the Bible, we receive the full benefit of what Jesus finished on the cross as a gift through faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Because Jesus finished what he came to do and paid the debt of our sins in full, by putting our trust in him alone, we receive forgiveness from God by grace as a free gift. Now, some of you may have heard these things before. And maybe there's a sense in which you feel that you have trusted in him. But there are indications. Indications that will show whether you think Jesus really finished it. For example, you don't believe that Jesus has paid your debt in full if you still think that your performance changes God's opinion of you. You don't believe that Jesus has paid your debt in full if you still don't know where you stand with God from day to day. You also don't believe that Jesus has paid your debt in full if you find yourself punishing yourselves, yourself for the things that you do wrong. You don't believe that Jesus has paid your debt in full if you condemn yourself for your sins instead of receiving Jesus' declaration, no condemnation. If you're still paying for your own sins, then you haven't trusted in the Savior who said, paid in full. And you probably haven't fully understood what Jesus really came to accomplish. And in that case, your debt still stands. Your sins are still charged to your account and you will pay for them. But some of you may believe that Jesus paid for your sins in full. But it just doesn't matter to you very much. Again, there are a number of indications you can look for to help you understand whether you care what Jesus finished. For instance, if God's acceptance matters little, unless you have people's acceptance, then you probably don't care very much that Jesus paid in full for your sins. If Christ's perfection matters little to you, unless you feel perfect yourself, then you probably don't care very much what Jesus finished. If you think a lot more about what you have accomplished than about what Jesus accomplished, then you probably don't care very much about what Jesus finished. If your life doesn't feel complete unless you have the right clothes or status or things, then you probably don't care very much about what Jesus finished on the cross. Or if you look to Mary to save you, or the saints, or a good luck charm, then you probably don't care what Jesus finished on the cross. Because if you say that you believe in Jesus, but what he finished on the cross doesn't stir you, or move you, or motivate you, then you're probably trusting in something other than Jesus. And the problem with that is, 
Only Jesus can save you. If you're not truly trusting in him, then your debt still stands. Your sins are still charged to your account, and you will have to pay for them. If you have put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you'll be able to rest. It's not that you won't work hard, but you'll be freed from the sense of desperation. You'll be able to say, I've done enough. You'll feel secure in your relationship with God because you know that it depends on what Jesus did, not on what you've done. People's criticism won't destroy you anymore because you find your worth in God's opinion of you. And your life will be motivated not by a striving to prove yourself to God or others, not in desperation trying to earn God's acceptance, but by a profound sense of gratitude for a Savior who gave his life for you. Now we've looked at the last words of Jesus. The last words of Buddha are very different. His last words are, strive on untiringly. The last words of Jesus are, it is finished. Buddhism is all about what we do. Christianity is about what Jesus has done. There are many people who call themselves Christians who actually try to live the, life, the Christian life as Buddhists. They misunderstand Jesus and the point of his life because they don't take seriously the final scene of his life and the final words that he left us with. It really is finished. He really did pay the debt of our sins in full. The old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to Jesus for rest. Come to Jesus for acceptance. And come to Jesus to experience the love of a God who reaches out to sinners. He's already paid the price for you to come. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand back in awe of all that Jesus did to think that he saw us with a weight of sin upon us, a debt before you. And he came and he lived the sinless life that we should have lived. He died a terrible death that we should have died. But he died for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be free. I pray, Father, for everyone hearing this message, that they would receive that free gift through faith. And having received the gift of a Savior who paid in full for our sins, now it's not a striving that motivates us. Now we live for righteousness. Now we live for God. Now we live for neighbor. But we do so out of gratitude for a Savior who loved us first. Help us to receive that mission, Father, and help us to live in light of Jesus' final words. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I call this Jesus' final scene, but in another sense, it's actually not. Because after this final scene, there's a sequel called Easter. It picks up three days later, and we're going to try and experience that in real time by considering that sequel this Sunday. I hope that you'll join us for a celebration of Easter right here. And if there's someone who you know would be encouraged by the message of the Savior who paid it in full, share this message with them. For more messages of gospel hope, go to www.gracebc.ca. I hope this message has pointed you to the grace that we can have in Jesus Christ. See you next time. Thank you.